All right, you are in for a treat today. I am about to introduce you to Ross Ritchie. Uh, he is the co-founder and uh, chief executive of Modest.dev, a very cool software company based here in Utah where I'm sitting. And I'm really excited to have you get to know him and learn about his company. If you are a business owner and you've been wondering how to solve your technology headaches uh, that often come in the form of trying to run many pieces of software and get them to talk to each other. Uh, one of the things we'll talk about in the interview is an article that mentioned a typical small business has about 20 pieces of software that they're running to keep track of different parts of their business. Uh, and that can be a, a bear, uh, a lot to manage, a lot, lot to handle. So uh, you're about to hear some really cool things that Ross and his team are doing to help companies solve not only that challenge, but uh, many other significant challenges to really build a custom business operating system uh, that represents highlighting what makes your business unique, building on your strengths, protecting your competitive advantage, some of these essential elements that I think are even more important today than ever before. And uh, it's, it's just amazing to look at companies like Ross's uh, and how they're helping business leaders succeed uh, through technology. So let's get into it. We are introducing you to the world uh, through this episode. And, and so sure. we'd love to just start with who you are, who is Ross Ritchie, and you can give us a little bit of your company uh, profile a bit. Uh, yeah, I uh, grew up in Utah. Uh, actually, you know, up in Ogden, came to Salt Lake to go to college. Met my wife there, ended up staying in Salt Lake, um, graduated from the University of Utah, got a job up near the U at a place called AREP Laboratories, was working as their Linux administrator for their, there for a while, and it quickly became apparent that, uh, I don't know, I got bored or annoyed or, I don't know, something working for, working for the man. And so in 2007, I kind of uh set off with a couple of partners to do a startup uh 2007 was a great time to do startups but yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, but we we kind of uh limped along doing doing custom software and i've been on my own doing custom software more or less uh since then in various forms various companies uh the i mean some people are you know successful as, as business owners right out of the gate and uh, for me, it's, there's, you know, they, uh, they say an expert is someone who's made all the mistakes you can make in a specific domain. Yeah. So maybe I'm an expert entrepreneur. I don't know. <laughs> I've made all the mistakes you can make, but, uh, but yeah, it's been, it's been a fun and interesting and, and educational, uh, experience. Terrific. That's, that's a great intro. I love it. Uh, a couple of, uh, curiosities there based on your intro number one although you're from utah why do you choose to stay in utah like what, what is it you really like about it and then is there anything you prefer you would uh, miss about it some other state you might live in right well i mean there's a typical you know families here and and uh that's important uh, also is kind of a sort of an unofficial prenup i've told my wife we cannot move south of this latitude <laughs> I'm not someone who likes the heat. So uh, every July comes along and I wish I was in, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, North, Northern Canada or somewhere, you know, Alaska or something. Uh, but I love, I love the, the four seasons. I love the winter and the, and I, I, I don't know, people talk about, you know, the, 
autumn in the Northeast, but I would put autumn in Utah up against any, any place in the world. So yeah, that's, uh, that's, you know, those are some of the reasons. No, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Of course I'm biased as well. Cause I choose to stay here and have lived some other places, uh, which I, I don't think you really appreciate Utah for what it is. If you've only lived in Utah, cause you just don't know how bad it could be <laughs> somewhere else sure. and how good we really have it and how beautiful yeah. Utah is. I mean, it's, it's definitely not the Northwest. We, we, my family and I lived up in uh, Washington state for a while. And, I mean, that's a gorgeous area, but then you have the trade-off of all the rain and some different things anyway. So I just, Utah is a pretty, pretty sweet place, I think. Yeah. So uh, the other thing that uh, piqued my interest is your comment about some business owners succeeding right away. Uh, you know, I've, I've heard that, uh, but I've never actually met a business owner who succeeded right away. <laughs> like, right out of the gate. Yeah. I mean, if we break it down, it, it just doesn't happen as a, a linear, I had this idea, I launched it everything was smooth. We had as much money as we needed. We met all of our goals and now we're on the cover of Fast Company or Inc. Yeah, whatever. sure. I mean, I, I, I know some people out of Silicon Valley who, uh, you know, they, they raised the money. Their first, their first startup was a unicorn and, you know, so mm. I mean, they exist, but I, and I, and I think one of the things that is always fascinating to me is this uh this idea of availability bias because the really successful business owners you know are the ones that end up on the cover of fast company they get all the attention and that becomes your idea of what business is going to be like and how successful you should be and of course all the people who kind of bounce around and are you know uh just making enough to not quit but not so much that they're you know they're fulfilling all their wildest dreams they don't make the cover of any magazines. They don't make the, yeah. they're not the people who get profiles in uh, wired or whatever. Uh, and, but that's the vast majority of business owners, like you said, right. You know, no, absolutely. Yeah. I heard a, I heard a speech by, I think it was Clayton Christensen uh, a few years back. Of course he's passed away since, but uh, he's a, for those who may not know who he is, he's a Harvard professor and, and really well known for a lot of his books on business and entrepreneurship and different things. And anyway, he talked about how really the main difference of companies that succeed and those that fail is basically those that fail run out of runway, like they run out of resource. And like you said, kind of when you mentioned it originally a couple minutes ago, they, they're iterating this process of failure, 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 and trying to do better, better, better. And then they just run out of, of yeah. runway. So I think that to me, uh, like that resonates again. I think that, uh, like you said, there are maybe one offs here and there, but there's such a tiny percent that just succeed right away. I think, I mean, frankly, I think part of the fun of entrepreneurship uh, is the unknown and the the need to iterate and constantly lean forward and not become complacent. And a lot of that, like, I don't know, for me, that's the exciting part. But why do you, why do you keep at it? I mean, you, you've been doing this for a while now. Uh, yeah, that's a, a good question. I think that, um, there's almost, I think there's almost a stubbornness to it. <laughs> you know, like you want, I think, like I said, you know, you, you, uh, you think, well, geez, you know, other people can do this. And, and, you know, I hate people telling me what to do and I'm, I'm just going to keep at it until eventually I, you know, bull my way through kind of thing. And, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say that it's, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a mental illness. Uh, it's, 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 you know, a deep independent streak, but, uh, but sometimes you look back and you wonder like, well, you know, 
if I, if I hadn't quit the job, you know, I'd, I'd probably have a pretty, you know, cushy gig and I could, you know, and set my own hours. And I think, I think the place I was working at, I think at this point, and I'd have probably 30 days of vacation or something like that. And so uh, I think there's a certain stubbornness to the whole thing. People sometimes ask me, Hey, I'm thinking of starting my own business. Do you have any advice for me? And, and what I always say is, look, take two aspirin, lie down and hope the feeling passes. <laughs> yeah, I like that advice. <laughs> <laughs> but if it doesn't, you know, then yeah, well, then do this, right? You know, but I think I think your point about iteration is a big one. Like you're not probably going to be successful right out of the gate or at least not to the degree you hoped, right? Everything's going to be more difficult than you thought. And there's going to be difficulties you didn't even expect, right? You know? And so having the runway and being able to iterate and being able to pivot and not losing your head when it doesn't work out exactly, I think, or, or you know, a big, is a big part of it. Yeah, I love that. Very wise, for sure. Well, so your your company now is called Modest. Uh, yeah. Why did you choose that name? Where, where does that come from? Just because we, we have this idea about the free market that if, you know, there's a need, someone will come along and fill that need, right? And yeah, I mean, that's mostly true, right? That's, that's, uh, that is how it works a lot of the time. But software, it, it's interesting. Software, I think, has become a little bit distorted recently because there's so much money in the SaaS space. There's so much money at the high end. There's so much money in Silicon Valley that everybody is chasing these billion dollar unicorns where they're going to create a, a software that everybody can use. And they're getting at 10,000 subscribers and they're going to have this great ARR uh, and, you know, then they're going to get acquired. And they'll, and so, and as a result, there is this segment of uh, people in the small and medium business who need software. Uh, they, the software that's out there, it does not quite match what they need. Or maybe they're a little stubborn like me and they want, you know, they want the software they want and they, and you know, they're, it's not quite doing it for them. And I think that, uh, that segment of the business is under, uh, underserved. And so modest is kind of our, you know, nod to like, look, we're not trying to conquer the world. We're not trying to sign up 10,000 people. We're trying to get business to small business owners who need it uh, at a reasonable price. Right. And it's, and we're not, we don't do all the software. We don't do, uh, you know, iOS and Android apps and, you know, there's certain software that, but boring business software for small companies, that's what we do. Our goals are modest. We just, uh, and that's kind of where the name came from. Okay. No, that's, that's, that's really interesting and, and helpful uh, as we kind of get to know you here. Uh, so how, how do you draw that line? I'm, I'm picturing in my mind kind of this bell curve. This is only audio, so we won't visualize this at all but this is an audio podcast um but as you think about that from what you described you're kind of on that that leading edge of the curve like you're not targeting like middle of the curve like trying to be a big software company you're not trying to compete with salesforce or like one of these giant companies you're serving more of a niche need for a company that that really i mean i i've i've worked in software a bit as well as far as selling it and and, and uh understanding it and a big part of buying an off-the-shelf software is adapting to the software. Like you have to change the way you do business to meet sure. that standard that's been set. But I'd love to hear just your elaboration on uh, 
how you identify somebody who should just go buy the thing off the shelf versus somebody who's like, I could, I should and could uh, commission modest to build this thing for me. Right. Well, and I think that word you use, the adaption uh, is key, uh, right? Because if, if you're in a, you know, like I, one of the examples we use is like a yoga studio, right? Like there's not a lot of crazy special sauce to a yoga studio and there's yoga studio software out there. Mm -hmm. And so the adaptation you have to do to make your yoga studio work with, you know, off the shelf yoga studio software is probably pretty small. But if the adaptation load is really high and you can't get your guys to use it and you, you know, and it's, and it's, and you're having to do a bunch of stuff by hand or you're having to cobble together six pieces of software that you know you're switching between and you're double entering well then i think that's that's where you know having custom software where we kind of ideally we adapt the software to your business rather than the other way around Mm -hmm. it can be a huge uh huge benefit i mean most of our customers uh have never experienced custom software right they've only used uh crappy off the shelf stuff that was built for the lowest common denominator and when they get software that it was built for them uh, the most common word I hear is awesome. Like, this is so awesome because, <laughs> you know, it does what they asked it to do. And they're not, there's not a lot of stuff that they didn't ask for that's cluttering up the space. So I think that, um, I think there's a lot of people out there that could, that could use uh, custom software. And a lot of, particularly in this space, we've been talking about small, medium businesses, they're not even aware of it being an option, you know? But yeah. And I, that's actually the next thing that I, thought to explore a bit together uh, is the perceived cost uh, versus actual cost of building a custom piece of software. I think if, if there are business owners listening that are like, well, that sounds awesome, but I, I just have this assumption that it's going to be a high six to seven figure. Like it's going to be really expensive for me to build yeah. something for my own business. Talk us through that a bit. Like what, what is a, a typical niche, you know, niche uh, solution look like from an investment standpoint and, and how do we, how does a business owner understand whether it's even a, a possibility? Right. Uh, it's, it's been interesting. I've, I've been actually a little bit surprised by it myself, but uh, most of the people that we talk to where we're building them a piece of software that kind of is at the center of their business, you know, that they run their business using the software uh, ends up being in the 20 to $30,000 range using our framework. Now, I mean, we we say that you know the um, we call our company modest because our goals are are modest. But that but by focusing, it's allowed us to create uh, a software framework and a workflow and a and a system on our own side where we can put together these boring boring business software platforms pretty quickly and cheaply. And so, you know, I tell people like, hey, you probably spent more than thirty thirty thousand dollars on your car. Yeah. And you only use it probably an hour or a couple hours a day, maybe more on the weekends. I mean, isn't it worth it to spend at least that much uh, on the software you're going to be using day in and day out and all your people are going to be using? And and yeah, a lot of people don't think of it that way. They think, oh, well, software, it either should be, like you say, six figures and ridiculous, or it should be $50 a month. And yeah, there is an in-between and it's going to be a lot more, you know, it's going to be a lot easier for you to use than the $50 a month and a lot less, uh, you know, a lot less expensive than the, the $100,000 or $200,000 a month. 
Sure. Yeah, that, that's great. Well, and and another layer of that, I think that, and maybe we can talk about this concept of like total cost of ownership a little bit in in, in this same thread. But um, when you let's just take an ERP system uh, for example, when you buy an ERP system, NetSuite is one of the biggest out there. SAP, uh, you know, one of these eight hundred pound gorillas in the marketplace. Uh, there, there's the cost of the software itself, which can be either high five or, or into the six figures annually. Uh, and then there is the implementation cost. And often a company will want some customization with that. And so when, once you take all of that bundled together, and that's not even looking at, again, this total cost of ownership of, of other softwares that are needed needing to integrate and, and all these points of data intersect and different things. Uh, anyway, th- that number gets big really fast. Uh, so yeah. when you talk about even 30 to 50, a uh, thousand total for something that you built, you, you know, you had built, you commissioned through your company uh, to have built, if I'm a business owner, it's my software and I decided how I wanted it to work and I don't have to do any major adaptation or, I mean, there might still be some need to integrate, but um, yeah. anyway, there's not this whole, these other layers of the investment that are kind of often hiding kind of behind the curtain, so to speak. So anyway, I want to talk through that a bit. Well, yeah, and I mean, I think that there are certain companies. Uh, you know, my my sister is uh, one on the senior leadership team at Kennecott for Rio Tinto, right? You know, like, yeah, we would never build software for them. That's ridiculous, right? They need an ERP system, and they need you know everything, and you know, and they need uh, high end support and all this stuff. And there are companies like that, but a lot of companies you know, can get by with a lot less, but there's, those options don't really exist. And that's part of that gap, uh, you know, we saw in the market and part of uh, what we're hoping to, you know, a segment of the market we're hoping to service is these people, they don't need a ton of software. They just need, you know, some customized, you know, some customized workflow to deal with their specific business. And they don't need, you know, all the bells and whistles in the ERP. They don't need, you know, a, a giant German company to stand behind it. They don't need, they just need a little piece of software to automate their business so they can get stuff off the whiteboard or off of Google Docs out of their head and into the software where it's, you know, backed up and people can get to it. Sure. Yeah. Well, it see, it feels like as we're talking that there might be some kind of critical questions that a business owner can ask uh, in or a business leader, even um, operational leader financial leader, whatever the role might be, uh, to determine whether it's worth exploring uh, custom software further. Uh, yeah. Like, how willing are you and your team to adapt the way you do things to match up with this this standardized way? Like, even just that question itself, like, change is hard. I've, I've worked a lot with, with change management and organizational development, and, like, people do not like to change, especially if they've been doing something one way for years. It's so difficult and and therefore very expensive to go through this process of them shifting from going right to left or, you know, whatever the, uh, anyway, the, the way to illustrate that might be. Yeah. Well, I think that, I mean, that's one of the things you really want to look at if you are considering various software. I mean, certainly if you've already got a piece of software and it's working, then, you know, you probably should stick with it because, you know, your employees are familiar with it and you're familiar with it and it's, not every not everybody needs a you know shiny new piece of custom software, but but if you ha- if you have stuff uh, and it's not being used, or if you don't have anything, 
then one of your biggest challenges is, okay, whatever solution I, I determine, whatever solution I choose, how am I going to get my people to use it? Because that's a big part of the problem is a lot of, I've talked to people who they get a, you know, they sign up for this new system and they, it's, you know, it's, it's exciting and interesting, uh, but it's just, there's just enough friction that their people don't want to use it. They forget to enter things. They forget to check things off. They forget to move something, uh, you know, the status of something from, you know, working on to completed and whatever. And, and it ends up being a giant waste of money because if you don't use it, it's not, it's, you know, and I think that's another uh, unseen advantage of custom software, whether ours or somebody else, you know, whether you get somebody else to do it is that you can get the input from the people who are going to use it and that gives them buy-in. They are more likely to use it because they feel like they've helped, you know, their, their concerns have been addressed. And, you know, in worst case scenario, you can say, Hey, you better use this. You help design it, right? <laughs> yeah, there's ownership for sure. Yeah, there's ownership. So I was just on the phone with, uh, we did some software for a, a towing company and they had the drivers, uh, you know, in the meeting saying, hey, you know, it would be great if it would, you know, we get there, we're out in the field. It would be great if when we press this button, it would immediately email an invoice to the driver. So they've got, you know, the record and it's like, okay, we'll do that. Right. You know, and so now, they went every time they hit that button, they can remember like, oh, yeah, I requested that, you know? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. That's a, a great, great illustration. And then I, again, this is awesome how this is flowing because that was also a, a thing I wanted to peel back some layers on is your comment earlier about the word you hear most often is awesome. Um, and that towing example is one fantastic illustration of why people use that word. Because again, they, they had they had a say at the beginning and then they see the outcome or the fruit of their idea or, or their labor, so to speak. Um, right. and, and that's paying dividends financially and just emotionally, like holistically. Uh, what are any other other examples or stories that kind of come to mind that, that help us understand why why custom software can be awesome and, and absolutely the, the right way to go? Right. Well, and, and uh, another client we had, uh, an HVAC company, uh, and there's plenty of software out there for HVAC companies for, you know, scheduling installs and doing different stuff. It's not like they, and they tried a bunch of it. And the key thing was, is they, in their break room, they had this giant calendar they'd made out of whiteboards, right? And that's how they did uh, their installation scheduling is they could, you know, they drew out, okay, we're at this place, we're at this uh, housing development for a week, or this one for the next week. And they could see like at, at one glance where, every, where everything was. And none of the HVAC software that was out there could uh, duplicate that. And they tried, you know, not only HVAC software, but, you know, Google Calendar, which can which can do that, which can show you things, but it doesn't do anything else, right? It doesn't integrate with anything. It's just Google Calendar, right? And so when he came along and said, oh yeah, sure, we can just, we'll duplicate that calendar, right? Then that was, you know, that was uh, an awesome moment for them because this was something they'd been using for 30 years. They didn't want to get rid of it. They kind of considered it a little bit their secret sauce, right? <laughs> and, but then they could, you know, what we duplicate in the software and suddenly they've got this thing that they, uh, that they've uh, kind of despaired of ever getting, uh, you know, getting the right way thinking, well, eventually we're going to have to change everything and adapt to some software, but instead we adapted the software to them and, you know, uh, they just love it. 
That is such a cool concept. I think that your uh, your comment about secret sauce, uh, the way that I'm, Ill, or I guess thinking through that, and you can tell me if this is off at all, but basically every company should have some type of competitive advantage or unique value that they bring to the marketplace. And so right. you call that the secret sauce. So the idea of, of instead of figuring out how you're going to maintain your advantage or your, your secret sauce, and then go use this off the shelf solution, why not just keep your secret sauce authentic and pure right. and build that into an operating system that is your own business operating system. And you and I have kind of talked about this, this uh, phrase or this idea of like a business yeah. operating system. But anyway, I think that's, that's really powerful uh, to think of that because it does keep the business model integrity at the highest possible level and builds in scalability. Cause I mean, again, another trigger potentially is as a company starts to grow, especially the, the rate of it, rate of growth accelerates, they've got to have some type of system to keep track of everything and to generate reports and to, you know, to just track all the the different events that are happening in the business, uh, and so that's that's often what causes them to start to look uh, for for different software sure. out there. Anyway, that's kind of another part of it. But any further thoughts? Did I did I uh, express that correctly, or would you, what else would you? Yeah, add? no, I think I think, and I think that uh, business owners, uh, you know, the the business operating system as you describe it, it oftentimes develops organically as you you know as you create a business and you know develops in a way sometimes uh that you know meets your needs and and fits in with your personality and maybe fits in with the you know the people you're able to get whatever and uh, i think a lot of people because it develops organically they don't give a lot of thought to this business operating system right it's only when they try and adapt the business operating system to software in order to you know help it be scalable or they try and actually define it that it becomes like, oh, you know, it doesn't it doesn't really match any of the software. It doesn't really. And then and then there is this kind of crisis point where you're trying to scale and you've got this operating system that's that's developed organically and in your head and you're trying to, you know, apply it to something going forward. And that can be a difficult a, a pinch point for people when they're trying to, you know, take the business operating system and, you know, turn it up to 11, so to speak. Sure. Absolutely. Yep. Well, and, and kind of going back to the the cost, the, the investment financial side, um, I think you, you mentioned as we were planning this conversation a bit that there was an article, uh, we'll, we'll try to post the link in the show notes, but uh, a small business, an average small business, I think is how to frame that, uh, uses about 25 pieces of software, off the shelf software. And yeah, all those... like 20 or 20 something, 20, 20 plus pieces of software. That's insane. Uh, yeah. I mean, to think of, again, you have the assumption is that all those pieces of software are talking to each other. And we both know that that doesn't happen. <laughs> like it, It's not just like, oh, buy this one. And this one has an open enough API or whatever that it's easy to have a talk to this one, which then passes information right. to this one. Like you, you said earlier in our conversation, like double entry and and uh, duplicating effort and having inaccurate reports, like those kinds of things. What are the, what are the other downsides of that number like 20 plus off the shelf applications all running to represent like this foundation of the business what are the other risks that come with that well and uh one thing that a lot of people don't take into account is you depending on the complexity of a piece of software you've got to have some kind of local or in-house expertise on that piece of software right you got to have someone who knows it and you know can uh, train other people on it or answer questions or whatever else 
And when you got 20 pieces of software, then that's that's a significant load. And a lot of small business owners, they they didn't get into business to, you know, be a, a software support person, right? <laughs> they got into business to do, you know, something something very different. And but because software is so ubiquitous these days, they have to, you know, they have to develop a certain amount of technical acumen. And it, particularly when it comes to, you know, if you're talking about an ERP like NetSuite or something, then they really have to develop that expertise or they could, you know, hire somebody to develop software for them and then they offload all that expertise, right? Then they don't have to be the expert in the software, right? And I think that's another uh, thing that, uh, that not many small business owners consider is, you know, their time and attention and trying to manage all this. Absolutely. Well, and time really is the only thing we can't get more of, right? Every single exactly. yes. human on earth has those those same 24 hours in a day and we've got to sleep at least six to eight of those. And anyway, so our our finite resource is time. So anything we can do to to save and, and optimize our time, I think is, is very worthwhile. Yeah. Another, well, just tr- I always try to kind of distill things down as we approach the, this last part of our conversation and it one of the things that excites me the most about what you're doing is that essentially it gives permission to business owners to take off the handcuffs, like to, to dream as big as they want to dream. And you've got them covered in the sense that you can build an operating system, you know, build a, you, you said earlier, boring business software, but I think it's potentially exciting business software as well, because it, it can be the thing that they need it to be rather than having to adapt their business to become something that really it's not. Um, anyway, that's just that's just exciting. I guess it's more of a comment than, than anything, but anything you might add to that, uh, you're welcome to. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, yes, we say boring business software because, you know, people, you know, when they think of software, they think of cool apps or they think of games or they think of sure. you know, software is a pretty big space. Yeah. And, you know, having, you know, having a database that tracks your jobs is a little bit, you know, that's not the that's not the sexy part of software. Right. But. Yeah. For uh, for a small business owner that's trying to uh, manage a hundred different things and trying to grow their business, it it can be very very exciting, mm-hmm. and I think that's you know what we hope to bring, and I think that's what I think in general you know more more small businesses could could use is having you know a more robust, more custom business operating system. Uh, you know, whether it's our software, whether it's something else, whether they, you know, customize some off the shelf software, I think there's uh, a lot of one size fits all out there, uh, you know, software being built. And I hope we, you know, gradually be moving away from that. Right. Well, and that's exciting. I think also looking at the longer term picture, because not only is the upfront investment small, but as you get, down the road a ways, I mean, the world changes around us. And so it's necessary for us to adapt to that changing world. And therefore the software itself is probably going to have to stay pretty adaptable, at least to a degree where there's updates yeah. and, and different features. Like what, what does that look like? Like after someone does the initial investment and then wants to make changes and updates, how, how do you well, work we, we do, well, we do kind of, we do uh, most small business owners don't want to, you know, manage the software. This gets back to what we talked about is, you know, there's a certain amount of technical expertise required and that's not what they signed up for. Right. And so we manage the software, we host it. And then we, we, uh, currently we're charging a thousand dollars a year to, uh, to, for the hosting. 
and keeping that framework up to date with patches and releases. And that's where another thing, uh, uh, there's a huge group of people out there. And I talk to, I talk to many of them all the time where they, they, they recognize the value of custom software. They had custom software built. Sometimes it's by their nephew or a friend or something, or, you know, they managed to scrape together a deal and they've got this custom software. And now it's 20 years old. And the person who originally built it has moved on to way bigger and better things. And he doesn't have, you know, time for them. And, and so they've got this piece of software that they didn't have a relation, an ongoing relationship with the person. It was kind of one off and now it's creaky and it doesn't do, you know, any of the things they want and it's kind of nightmarish. And, mm-hmm. and so that's where, you know, we, one of the things where we thought, Hey, we don't want that to happen. We want to have an ongoing relationship. Ideally we'd like people to continue as their business grows to uh, pay us to continue to add things. We prefer, we think it makes more sense to get paid for what we do rather than just, you know, to sit back and collect subscription fees till the end of time. Uh, So yeah, we want to develop a relationship where we're, we're building the software, we're building your business operating system as your business grows rather Mm -hmm. than building one thing and then walking away and, and, you know, uh, saying good luck. Right. (laughs) No, absolutely. Well, and in a case where a business has experienced that uh, good luck, um, tragedy, I guess maybe is a way to say, where someone who probably doesn't do this professionally, or maybe they do, but they aren't available anymore, whatever, uh, builds them something. But then again, the world changes, their needs change, and they want someone to come in. Does it usually make sense for you to try to update someone else's software? Or is it easier for you to just kind of start? Because because of how familiar we are with our own framework and how fast we are, it's... uh, I've never come across a situation where it would have been cheaper for us to update their old software than for us to just start over, which is unfortunate because, you know, you'd like to imagine, oh, hey, we just need a few features added. But just the way software works, you've got to become familiar with it. You've got to dive in. You've got to, there's just an enormous amount of work in in getting up to speed on someone else's software before you, or before you're, you feel comfortable making any changes. And, you know, all that time is time that we can be cranking out, you know, features on our own framework, right? So. No, absolutely. Well, and kind of the analogy that comes to my mind is if you or I just drove down a random street and walked into a random house and we were supposed to make breakfast, like we would have to go and figure out, first of all, where's the kitchen? What's in the fridge? Do we even have the ingredients we need? Where's the pancake griddle? Where's the Turner, where are the eggs? You know, just like we have to do all that yeah. first before we even start. And maybe that's an apt analogy for this situation because you basically would have to go in and, and become familiar with someone else's framework. Sure. You're never going to really use that knowledge again other than <laughs> to, to do the update. So why not just yeah, get I mean, to work making breakfast? Yeah. And it's like, I mean, it's like the difference between, you know, a short order cook making breakfast in a diner who's been making breakfast, you know, all day, every day. He can crank out, you know, uh, you know, breakfast, 10 breakfasts, uh, you know, every, you know, breakfast every minute. Whereas if you like have to go into somebody's house and figure it out, it takes you forever. And yes, you're only trying to do this one thing, but it's just, you know, there's, there's all these economies of scale that you don't get, uh, when you do it that way. So, yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's great. Uh, well, so maybe we end where we began a little bit. I mean, we, I probably didn't spend enough, well, I know I didn't spend enough time getting to know you. Like, what do you do when you're not 
running your company and building awesome software or, or boring software for, <laughs> for businesses. What does your life look like when you have a free Saturday night or you're not behind your computer? Uh, yeah, I'm kind of uh, big into Dungeons and Dragons and role-playing games, that sort of thing. Kind of the typical, uh, you know, uh, nerd, geek, whatever. Uh, I, I think that uh, it's funny how often you run into people with very similar interests when you're in the software business. I don't know. I don't know if it's a requirement necessarily, but it does kind of draw from the same from the same sort of people, uh, you know. And I, I, I also, you know, as we were talking about living in Utah, I do try and get out and hike and enjoy nature and and stuff like that because we've got a a great set of mountains that are you know just an easy drive away. So, but uh, yeah, it's that's uh, you know those are some of the things I like uh, when I'm not uh, when not work not working hard. So. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Oh, I love it. Well, so I, as someone who's really not familiar with the world of Dungeons and Dragons, let's just take that as an example. Like <laughs> what is, what is the thing that is the biggest draw for you? Like where you, it causes you to love it? What is it about it? Uh, I think uh, these days it's, it's a chance to get together with friends and just have, you know, a great time. I mean, the, the game is sort of a framework and it gives you, uh, you know, something to do and, and you're kind of gives you something to cooperate around, but uh, just getting together with friends. And I know uh, not to get too off topic, there is, uh, you know, kind of a loneliness crisis where a lot of people don't have friends. And, you know, a lot of people are, uh, you know, they, they spend all their time on social media and they, they don't have. And I think that that's one of the great things about a game like Dungeons and Dragons is it's designed to be played with people. And it's, you know, it can, it's a, a lot of, a lot of fun, you know, yeah <laughs> when you get your buddies that you've known for, you know, 10, 20, sometimes 30 years around the table. It's a great, it's a great experience. No, I love that. And I, and I love that you highlighted just the need for connection and for like us to be deliberate in, in making sure we maintain relationships because again, yeah. like our, in this post COVID world especially it feels like we haven't yet come back and i don't i don't know that we'll ever you know it'll ever right. be the same as it was but like hopefully we're going to move forward and learn from that but it feels like we're st we still need to do some work on that so anyway i think it's it's great that you've uh you've maintained your your social side of, of life as well as spending time in nature and and just having balance because i mean any of us could sit at our computer and work 24 hours a day not exactly 24 but you know as, <laughs> as many waking hours as we have but sure. then life gets pretty dull and and we we burn out and different things so i think you're yeah. a great example of of uh of that balancing effort that's really cool well, hopefully i don't know <laughs> i still probably work too much but <laughs> <laughs> taking time for fun is important yeah <laughs> well so <clears throat> if people would like to uh learn more about modest learn more about you What's the best way for them to get in touch and start to explore this custom software path? Yeah, our, our website is modest.dev. And you can get a hold of me at ross at modest.dev. And uh, yeah, email is uh, is probably the best way because uh, uh, I, I feel like I'm, you know, checking that more often than I even check, you know, my text messages. <laughs> okay, yeah. Oh, that's great. Okay, perfect. Well, we'll make sure those details are in the show notes as well. So it's easy for people to click and and uh get in touch with you as they need to and okay you've been very generous today thank you for taking time to tell us your story and, and uh, no problem. awesome to get to know you and modest and uh keep building that boring business software and changing the world one piece of software at a time okay well thanks thanks a lot russ i hope you enjoyed that conversation i think uh ross brought so many interesting insights and 
I'm sure you got a sense for his personal modesty. Uh, that just made me smile as I listened back to our conversation, uh, just that he's a modest individual and it's an appropriate name for that reason as well. And I've really uh, come to admire him. So a couple of thoughts here as we wrap up. I think that the two, a couple of the things that, uh, as I'm trying to look at this conversation through the lens of a small business owner running a growing company, starting to face obstacles in the form of technology constraints and complexity that come with the multiple pieces of software issue, with the integration, with with uh, just all the all the chaos that we kind of uh, touched on from several, came at from several different angles. I feel like the pace of adoption is one thing to really think about. How how quickly, how long will it take your team to adopt an off-the-shelf solution? And then how many of those people are realistically going to adopt it? When we have some people unwilling to adopt a new technology, that naturally creates a gap in the quality of our processes because we have some people doing things the old way, let's just kind of frame it that way, and, and some people doing things the new preferred way. Uh, so. That's one thing that I kind of kept coming back to in my mind. And then the other part I think that's interesting and, and worth considering is the protecting your secret sauce portion of our conversation. As you are able to continue doing things the way that you do them that make that represents what makes your, your business so unique and so uh, amazing, being able to build that uh, into a software rather than having to f have your business change to fit a software that hundreds or thousands of other companies are using. Like that's that's a key moment in the life of a company. Uh, and if you can maintain the integrity of the way you've been doing things that makes you unique rather than kind of letting go of a lot of those proprietary processes or unique ways of coming at a, a solution, solving problems for your clients, uh, that really is a powerful way to, to keep that competitive advantage in place to maintain your secret sauce as you scale. So I think that's, again, another thing to think about. I was also uh, reflecting on, I really enjoy the show Shark Tank, um, watching investors receive pitches and listening to their feedback and, and some of that. One of the things that uh, Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful as they call him, uh, often brings up when he hears a pitch, especially one that he feels like is not all that unique is he says something like what will what would prevent me from going out and just creating this company myself like why should I invest in you and your business rather than just going and doing it and again I, I think that's just a way to maybe wrap together some of these these concluding thoughts and some of the principles that were represented in our in the conversation you just heard between myself and Ross because uh, you, you should have that competitive unique thing that that makes your business uniquely amazing uh, and, and you have your own secret sauce and, and way of doing things that allows you to do good in the world and and change the marketplace and being able to keep that up uh, and maintaining that advantage is i think essential and, and it's exciting to think that buying cost custom software is not millions of dollars and it uh, in many cases is less than a hundred thousand dollars 30 30 to 50 as you kind of heard him say and I love that you used the example of like buying a car. How many of us are, don't really hesitate to go spend 30, 50, these days 70, 80 uh, or more thousand dollars on a car that we spend relatively small amount of our life in 
and really a car is a depreciating asset that really doesn't uh, pay us back in any way other than maybe the fun of, of driving it. Uh, conversely, we have building a piece of custom software for around those same numbers that's going to pay many, many times more uh, than what we invested in it. So anyway, you can tell I'm a fan. Uh, I hope you'll get in touch with Ross. Again, modest.dev, ross at modest.dev. That's how you can reach out. And I hope you enjoyed the interview. Have a good one.